This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, Bridgeway. And let me just say, uh, before I get into the message, just a sincere thank you for all of your support. It's been a really long journey. Someone asked me what it was like to, to finish a doctorate program. It's hard. It takes a long time and uh, six years. Thank you, COVID. It actually tacked on an extra year to my studies, but I am incredibly grateful to be finished and also uh, to just have all of your support as, as a church to be supported by a great team of elders and people like Mike, just a great staff that has uh, just served me so well over the years. So um, you all clap for me. I'd like to clap for you and thank you for all the support over these years. It's just, uh, it's really been good. And it's funny, you, you start a doctorate program and it's not like there's another rung on the corporate ladder. It's not like you're trying to achieve something else. It's just really truly to, uh, to, to be, you know, deeper called into what God's uh, brought into my life as a pastor. And so thank you again. I've been grateful to, to be part of the program. But today I want to kick off a brand new series. I want to say happy Father's Day to all the dads out there as well. And uh, begin this series, Words to Live By. I've been thinking a lot about words lately. Been thinking about uh, the words that we say, the words maybe that we write, the words that we post on social media, and just how powerful these words can be, and just really how much a word can transform and set the direction of a person's life. In fact, there are some words that, uh, that honestly, we need to hear more of, right? There are words that, that you hear them and they feel so good. It's like, oh, I need to hear that more often, like you clapping for me. That was really, you know, really nice. Or, or maybe you get some encouragement from someone. But then there's other words that, frankly, when you hear them, you're like, ooh, I, I don't want to hear that word. There are some words that are, are maybe better left unsaid. And, and there are some words that are, are really hard to say. In fact, um, I was thinking this week about words, and I was thinking about, I don't know, I, I got drawn all the way back to my, my fourth grade experience. I, I had a fourth grade teacher that would assign these spelling and vocabulary words. Do they still do that in school every week? You know, you'd have these spelling and vocabulary. I might as well just dedicate this message to my fourth grade teacher, Mr. Fon Koo, because he would choose like the hardest words you could find. In fact, I'm 50 years old, and I can still remember some of these words. He, he would choose a word like cacophony. You can look that one up later. Had to learn the definition and spelling of that. Or uh, I remember this word from fourth grade. One of my spelling words was anti-disestablishmentarianism, right? Try spelling that as a fourth grader. And I was thinking about these words, and it's challenging because sometimes we use really big words, but I find that it's actually the smallest of words that have the most impact. It's a well-placed word that has the potential to change and impact someone. And so my promise to you in this series is we won't be using any big words. In fact, I want to focus on just a few small words. Each week, just one word to live by. And I want to make a promise to you in this series that if you not only learn to allow this word to shape your life, you're going to find that these words are very simple, but they're very hard to live by. And my promise to you is that if you allow these words to shape your life, your, your life will be enriched, and your relationships will be much stronger, and your faith has the potential to go much deeper. And so here's our first word. I wanted to start out this day with a really good word, and it's the word help. 
In fact, I want to teach you this word, but I want to teach it to you more as a prayer this morning. And it's no coincidence that today is Father's Day and we're talking about words and we're talking about this word. Now, first of all, Father's Day and men in general, men as a gender, we tend to struggle with our words, right? Like it's not a mystery. In fact, lots of studies have been done. Um, guys, we tend to not use a lot of words, especially words that denote any type of feeling or emotion. We stay away from those scary words, right? In fact, maybe you, some of you experience, if you look back in your life and maybe you had a grandfather and he hardly said a word, right? Or maybe even your dad didn't say a whole lot or your uncle never talked a whole lot. I just found out uh, in the past month, I have an uncle that served in Vietnam, in fact, I was reading a biography that got passed to me almost by accident, and I was reading about this incredible battle that he was a part of in Vietnam. I've known my Uncle Gary all my life. I never knew he served in Vietnam. So guys, we tend to be kind of short in words. In fact, one study has showed that men only use about 7,000 words a day. Now, all the women in the room, you know where this is going, right? Because you're masters with words, especially those touchy-feely words, in fact, uh, ladies, you tend to use almost three times as many, about 20,000 words a day. You can give yourselves a round of applause for that, right? In fact, some of you ladies right now, you're sitting there, you're like, I'd like to talk right now, like right in the middle of the sermon, right? Like, and you can. Your words are words like amen and preach it, brother. You can use those words anytime during the sermon. I won't mind a bit. Amen. You can say that all day long, right? But guys, on the other hand, we, we struggle with this, and we especially seem to struggle with this word, help. This is a word we, we really don't like to say. It kind of says something about us if we have to begin to use this word. Again, men as a gender, um, one study revealed that even in the era of GPS and, I mean, literally, like maps on our watches, uh, on average, men will drive 276 miles per year lost, just as lost as a Canadian goose. Again, the women in the room, this is your chance. You can say, amen, preach it, brother, right? You've lived this before. But here's the thing about this word help. It's a really unique word because we can always come back to it. And I'll be the first to admit that I struggle with this word. I have a hard time asking for help. I, I don't know why. Maybe you've tried to figure this out about yourself as well. I, I don't know if I don't want to put people out or if I, I don't want to appear as though I'm weak or, or feel ashamed. And this is why I really think we need this word as a community. And we need to learn this word as a prayer. I, I didn't know exactly how to get into this, but I want to create some, some vulnerability this morning that you'd be willing to make this your prayer. And I was going to have you kind of start with kind of a confession. I need help. But I realize that's probably too vulnerable to start this sermon with. So why don't you just apply this sermon to the person next to you. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them, you need help. Go ahead. You can just kind of declare that to them. He's speaking to you this morning. Go ahead. You only have to say it once. You don't got to say it more than once to them. We need this word, and let, let me tell you why. Stop telling your neighbor they need help, okay? Here's why. If, if we don't learn this word, uh, small problems can become really, really big problems. If we don't learn this tiny word, then 
a small issue can become a major crisis. It's good to ask for help when your finances are just a little off track before you're deep in debt. It's good to get help in your marriage or in conflict before you end up in divorce. It's really good to, to work on kind of your, your interpersonal skills. If, if you find that you're negative or critical, it's really good to get help in that before you realize there's no one willing to stand next to you. And that's why this word is so important for us to learn, such a powerful word. word. If you've got your Bible, I'd love for you to turn to John chapter 2. I want to look at a story, and I want you to find the moment where this individual asks for help. John is one of the Gospels. In fact, we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to read a little bit from John chapter 2. John is a, is a really vibrant reading of the Gospel. In fact, uh, the book of John uses the most words to describe the life of Jesus. And John does this in such a, a colorful, artful way, the way in which he tells the story of Jesus. In fact, he's very creative. He, he tells the story of Jesus by leaving us these little breadcrumbs. In fact, he calls them signs. And in the book of John, there are seven signs, and you're going to read about the first sign this morning. It's a miracle, seven signs, seven miracles. And the very last sign, the last miracle in the book of John is the resurrection of Jesus. And so today, you're actually going to have, you know the last sign, and now we're going to read about the first sign. And I thought maybe for some of you, if you were looking for a way to, to maybe engage in God's Word, maybe a, a great little study would be to read through the book of John this summer. That's going to be where I'm focusing my devotional time. You'll probably hear some sermons from the book of John. But I love this story. This is probably my favorite story in all of Scripture. I don't know why, but every time I read this, it's it's like I see something new. It's like turning the gem, like you see something new and unique about this story. And we're going to read about this first miracle. John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the, drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Let me read that again. You have saved the best till now. See, I think there's a process and a journey that that God's inviting us on where he wants to do the best in our lives, and it requires that we're willing to go through this gauntlet of actually asking for help. And maybe that's why I'm so intrigued by this story. It's kind of an unassuming miracle, isn't it? I mean, Jesus turns water into wine. I mean, does anyone else find that kind of odd? <laughs> I mean, the first sign that John has to relay to us is, Oh, by the way, Jesus can do these party favors too, right? He can keep a party going. He, he can turn the H2O into Merlot, right? I mean, isn't it, does anyone else find this odd? 
Does anyone else, maybe like me, maybe think this is a little unnecessary? Right? I mean, come on, Jesus. I mean, aren't there bigger problems to focus on? I mean, do you not know there are people dying because they don't have clean water and, and people dying because of malaria? And oh, by the way, you know, I, I read the story and I, I grew up in a home where my mom was an alcoholic. And I can remember most of my childhood finding empty or half-empty bottles of wine around the house and hidden in closet and in places and, and just maybe having the opposite hope, right? Like that Jesus could turn for my mom the wine, you know, Jesus, you need to turn that into water for her. And I read this story and I, I just see this incredible change that happens. I remember hoping and praying for my mom that, that she would get the help that she needed and she always pushed it away and yet I see how Mary in this story, she, she teaches us this, this miracle and how we can build our lives around being fully reliant on God. Now, I'll just tell you, as a pastor, I've done, I don't even know how many weddings, hundreds, two, three hundred weddings over the last 20 years, and, and I don't even know. Like, it seems like no matter how many of these I've done and, and how prepared the, the bride and groom are, and by that I mean how prepared the bride is, you know, it just seems like there's, there's always something that goes wrong. And best laid plans, I've I've seen brides cry so uncontrollably they can't get through their lines. I've seen, I've seen the groom actually forget his lines. You know the groom's line, right? Like, I do. And, and they look at me like, what's that again? You know, it's like, I do. Just repeat after me. And at one time I was doing a wedding, and it was so hot. It was a typical Michigan summer wedding. And, and one of the bridesmaids was, was kind of getting this swoon going, you know? Like, and, and she was sweating, and all of a sudden her knees kind of buckled, and she went, straight down, and I watched the father from across the front row literally dive out, lay it out, and caught her face just before it hit the ground. We all applauded for that one. Like, it was amazing. I was doing another wedding outside, and we were exchanging the vows, and all of a sudden, this black cat started walking down the aisle, back and forth, and, as it, and it wasn't their cat. It was like an outdoor barnyard cat of some sort, and I've told you my dislike for cats, right? Like, like, seriously, you may kiss the bride and you may kick the cat. It's all good with me. And I, I got kind of an important wedding in my family coming up this summer. My, my oldest daughter, Anne-Marie, you know, my, my first child, right, getting married. And uh, we so love, uh, I, I can't wait to call Kenley my, my son-in-law and, and just to have him a part of our family. They're, they're just a great couple. And Sean and I couldn't be more blessed in how they've just gone through this courtship and how they put God at the center. And I've just been grateful to witness all this. But, but I can tell you, even with all my experience, I, I'm bracing for how I'm going to get through this. Like, I have double duty. I, I get to walk my daughter down the aisle, and then I get to get up here and officiate as well. This is just like a train emotionally waiting to happen for me. And, and that's what this situation is for Mary. She is at this wedding, and it seems insignificant, right? Keep the wine flowing. But this is a major problem. In fact, in that day, um, it would be considered a social disaster to run out of wine. In fact, you know how you go to a wedding and they have a list of people invited? Well, in that day, everyone in your town was invited. There was no one that wasn't invited. You didn't have like a, a cap or a max. And you were demonstrating in some way that you could care for this bride if you could provide the hospitality for a wedding and a meal. And so this would have been considered just a disgrace to run out of wine. In fact, in the Jewish tradition, they, they considered a bad omen for the marriage. 
And you don't really know from the text if Mary is somehow related to this young couple or if her and Joseph are the master and mistress of ceremony. We don't get those details, but she cares enough to step in and she makes this her prayer. They have no more wine, right? That's her prayer. They have no more wine. And what might seem as just a minor detail, what she's really doing is she's demonstrating and modeling this first line, which is that help requires we surrender. And by surrender, I mean we actually do what this means, that we wave the white flag and we say, I give up. I cannot do this on my own. I cannot do this without God. See, I think this is the problem we have with this word help. We all want a victory, but we're so scared of what defeat would look like, that we aren't willing to surrender even an inch, even an inch in the direction of God. And so Mary waves this flag, and it's, it's so strange, right? Like They have no more wine. That's her prayer. Now, I want to speak for a moment just to anyone out there who's maybe not real keen on prayer. Maybe you don't like being called on to pray. You don't want to pray out loud. And, and maybe your biggest issue is you, you're afraid of what someone will think of your prayers. Like, I got to say just the right words. And I've been around those people who pray. And, oh, I don't, I don't pray as eloquently, you know, like, dear Lord in heaven, I beseech you and fall before your throne. Like, you're thinking, I, I don't even use those words when I talk. Or maybe you read some of the great prayers in Scripture, like Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. And if that's you this morning, look at Mary's prayer. They have no more wine. That's her prayer. You're not going to find that on a beautiful piece of artwork hanging in someone's house, right? Like, you're just not going to find that. And yet, this is the problem. See, we get all worked up about prayer, and yet God can decipher our words. We don't have to get them perfect and just right God can see the humility in, in what we need well before we're there. So let me just ask you this morning, what do you need to ask God for help with? I, I mean, they ran out of wine. What have you run out of? I mean, just this morning, just in a real sober moment in your soul, what have you run out of? Have you run out of patience? You've no more patience for your kids or your coworkers. Maybe you've run out of courage. Like, you just... You need a challenge in your life, but you're so scared what that challenge would be. Maybe you've run out of energy, and you're here this morning, you're like, this just feels good to sit down. I'm so tired. Maybe you feel alone. What have you run out of, and what do you need to ask God for help with? See, surrender is the first step. It's saying, I'm empty. I'm at the basement, and I'm looking up. Uh, one author says that God's address is, at the end of my rope. Where are you? Have you gotten to the end of your rope? Because God is going to not only ask you to surrender, but God is going to test how committed you are to staying surrendered. See, surrender is not just a one-time thing. It's, it's actually a posture that we have to live in. This, this moment of surrender isn't just a one and done. I think this is the real rub we have with prayers. We think, well, I, I prayed once. <laughs> I mean, I asked God for help once. You know, I, I knew my job was on the line, and I prayed, and I still got laid off. I mean, I knew the results were coming, and I went to the appointment, and I prayed, and it was still cancer. And this is the crazy thing about prayer. I, I don't have a doctorate level answer for you on this. I, I don't know why sometimes God doesn't answer the way we want or doesn't answer the way we need him to. I mean, I read this story, and it seems like, it seems like Jesus doesn't even seem all that interested at first, right? I mean, 
I mean, she asks him, they have no more wine, and he says, woman, why do you involve me, right? I mean, he gives her this response that almost seems like he's not even interesting. He says, woman, like, I grew up in a kind of home that if I called my mom woman, it would be mouth washed out with soap immediately, right? And what Jesus is doing is he's, he's pushing her, he's testing her. How, how committed are you to the surrender? See, I, I think sometimes we need to ask for help, and, and other times we need to be the ones that are there to help others. Last week when I was out in California and celebrating and just uh, getting to, to go through the, the graduation process, and I'll just tell you, it was a lot of pomp and circumstance, a lot of funny robes and hoods and a lot of stuff that, they, they, that we go through in the graduation process. And I got to this day, I got to Sunday, one week ago, last week, and all of that was over. And I got to go to one of my favorite churches out in L.A. And I, I love it. It's not a perfect church by any means, but I, I went there and I, Sean was with me and two of our kids and I had been raving. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to go to this church. And so I bring them there. And part of my desire is I, I get to go and be a part of a church where I'm I'm not part of producing the service, right? Like, I have no idea what's going to happen. And that's another way of saying that for this Sunday, I just, I just wanted to not have to be a pastor, right? Like, just go to church and just let God speak to me and sing songs and not be on. And as I took my spot in the row, immediately another family walked on the other side. And this lady came up to me. And you know how you lock eyes with someone? And then you could tell something's going wrong. And before I could get my eyes off of her, because I'm not a pastor today, I'm just here, you know, I'm just going to enjoy church myself, I, I look at her and I can tell it's a hard day for her. And she immediately starts to tell me that, you know, this is their last Sunday that they're going to be at their church, their church home, and they've been going to this church for 26 years. And she's just telling me everything about her experience in this church. And, and I could tell in that moment, God, God said, Preston, like, don't, don't be afraid. Listen in on this moment. And, and, of course, the service starts, and it just seems like every song we sing is about trusting God. And I feel like it's just it's for the lady next to me. Like, this is just perfect for her to hear. And the message, the pastor gave this great message on paying attention and God using you wherever you're at. I'm just like, oh, this is so good for her. And I knew I, knew I had to say something to her. And the service was wrapped up, and, and she, again, started telling me about how they're moving from L.A. to Tennessee and and just all the stress and all the worry. And, and she tells me, I've been going to this church. This is the only church we've known for 26 years. I mean, can I just say as a pastor, like, anyone that goes to the same church for 26 years, that's like, that's like gold, that's like triple gold star, right? Like, I mean, 26 years in the same church. They had had kids in that church, and, and the kids had gotten older, and, and it still was hard for this family. I tell you, I think we live in a culture that just is, it's so disposable with, ah, you know, I get fickle, and ah, I want to move on, and ah, you know, I don't like that preaching, or that style, and, or that worship, or that kids program, and I just had 26 years in the same church, and, and then I noticed all these people coming up to her, and, and telling her, like, ah, oh, I'm going to miss you, and, and I just said, just very briefly to her, because now I was becoming the outsider as all her friends were around, and I just, I, I just simply said, I'm going to be praying for you, and I'm be praying that you're going to make all of these connections in Tennessee. And I think that's what God wants. Is he just wants us to have these moments where maybe we don't have all the answers, but we're willing to have this radar to see people who need help and, and then to step in and to be the help that someone needs. I think you can see so much in somebody's eyes if you're willing 
if you're not afraid of what that moment could mean. Another way to think about it maybe is just to be okay with maybe moving in the direction that God is moving, right? I mean, I think there's this sense that we need to catch up to where God is already moving, that God is moving and, and we need to catch up to where he is. I think oftentimes we get dismissive and we think, well, I don't know where God is going, you know, until he paints it in the sky, I have no clue what he's up to. And I think, really? I mean, you have no idea what God is doing? I, I mean, I'm thinking about this family in L.A. and, I mean, you don't think God knows what he's doing, taking a family rooted deep in their faith 26 years and God moving them from one part of our country to another part? You don't, you don't think God can use them? Do you even think God cares that he, that he can't use us wherever he's at? And, and even in this story, I mean, do you think that God really wants this young couple to be kind of burdened with all this guilt, to have all this shame, to have their family be mocked? I, I think instead we need, to, we need to realize that God is moving. And we need to be okay to say, you know, I want to move in the direction that he's moving. And that's what Mary does. Notice what she does here in, in verse 5. It says, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Man, that's a loaded line, isn't it? I mean, that's a loaded statement of faith. Do whatever he tells you. And isn't it funny? He just told her, you know, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not come. And it's almost as if Mary has this moment where she says, you know what? I need to take action. And she begins to move in the direction that she anticipates God is already going to go. God is already going to provide an answer for this couple. And so she tells them, do whatever he tells you. And it's almost as if she's like willing this moment to happen. Have you heard the term manifest? I hear it all the time now. And like the generation just younger than me, you know, they're manifesting their destiny, and I'm going to manifest my career path. And it oftentimes kind of comes out as like this, I don't know, kind of the self-promoting sort of way. But what if we manifested God's destiny, <laughs> and we began to move in the direction that he's already moving? See, if you want God involved in your day-to-day -day life, if you want God involved in your day-to-day -day problems, big or small, you must be willing to do whatever he tells you. See, I think some of you this morning, you not only need to surrender and ask for help, but some of you this morning, you need to begin to move in the direction of obedience that God has already called you to. God has already called you in this direction, and you know it. I think we focus so much on what we don't know, and yet there's so much that God has already told us that we do know. I mean, I read through his book here, and I just see so many things. I mean, I'm educated way beyond the level of my obedience, right? I mean, the scriptures already tell us to love our neighbor and to pray for our enemies and to not be so easily offended and turn the other cheek, you know, to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. And the Bible tells us that we're to, to have this way about us that this spirit is so alive that we're, we're just filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control. Isn't that enough? I mean, what if we began to just do the things that we already knew God wanted of us? And we just let the rest of the story just begin to unfold all around us. See, if you want to bring up there, down here, you must do whatever he tells you. I think some of you here again today, just you need to ask for help, and then you need to begin to move with him. And oh, by the way, God wants to move in such an amazing and extravagant way that I don't want you to miss how he, how he does this. Look at this. It says there's six stone jars. Next slide. Six stone jars the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Did you get that math? 
I mean, that's 120 to 180 gallons of wine. I mean, this party could go on for days, right? I mean, there's kind of this idea in the story that if you bring God a thimble, he'll probably fill up a thimble. But if you bring God a bucket, God's going to fill up even more, 120 to 180 gallons. And the master of the banquet can't even believe this. He, he thinks it's a mistake. He calls the bridegroom over and says, whoa, 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 you've made a huge mistake. You got the wine mixed up. You're, you're supposed to save the good stuff. You get, do the good stuff at first, and then later just give them the cheap stuff. You don't have to give them the good stuff. But you have saved the best to last. I think this paints for us a picture that I hope you take from today, that I hope that you never forget that you have a God who holds nothing back, that you serve a God that holds nothing back and, and wants more than anything to be extravagant and generous in all the ways in which you need him, in his love, in his grace. He wants to just pour that out. And then he wants us to hold nothing back in how we serve and how we love and how we care for others. But it requires this process and this path of being unafraid to ask for help. Charles and the team are going to come and join me, and they're going to play, and they're going to lead us in a time of, of just worship and just a time of intimacy. And I want to challenge you this morning. Is this word help hard for you? Where do you need to begin to just ask God, God, help me to say this word. Help me to pray this word. Help me to live this word out in my life. Maybe for others this morning, there's just a sense of, of movement and you've been stuck and you've been holding back and, and God challenges you this morning to hold nothing back and to move in the direction that he's already been moving. I want to invite you just simply to stand to your feet now. I'm going to call you to a time of worship. So if you can stand to your feet and I'm going to pray for you now and we're going to go out in a time of worship on this Father's Day. And, and just in this moment, I just want to invite you just to simply bow your head and to close your eyes and I want to give you a time where you and God can just talk about whatever you and God need to talk about. Maybe this morning, just as we go into this time of prayer and worship, I just want to remind you of just the incredible potential that your life can have. The change that can happen through just a simple word. Make this your prayer this morning. Help. Just as simple as you know how. Lord, be my helper. Lord, help me. God, help me to go from self-sufficiency to a full reliance on you as the winemaker, as the one whose scripture says that streams of this living water will just flow down and cover over me. God, I, I just pray in this moment for every person here and every person within the sound of my voice that you would be the help that they need this morning. In big ways and in small ways, God, that you would help to cover and help to encourage and help to draw us closer to you, God. God, I pray that, that we would be a church that holds nothing back, that we hold nothing back in our, our worship and our love for the people around us. We give you this time, and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide. 